0: Now, the story of Ruth, Uh, it may have taken place over a 1,000 years before Jesus, but it is surprisingly contemporary. It's a story of hardship. It's a story of love. It's a story of uh, economic refugees moving from one country to another, showing such courage, risking everything in the search for a good life, a better life. It's very contemporary. And it is very relevant to us here at Holy Trinity Clapham. Uh, Kingdom Courage has been a focus for us as a church this last year as we've been looking towards our vision of seeing every life bearing fruit for Jesus. That willingness for each one of us to step out of our comfort zones, to take risks, to be people of courage for the sake of other people and for the sake of ourselves bearing fruit for Jesus Christ. And I would love just to start by just mentioning two areas where we see kingdom courage being displayed in the book of Ruth. And the first is this, in deep friendships. In deep friendships. The focus of most of the book is on Naomi and Ruth, two women, an interracial, intergenerational sisterhood. And, And just look again, if you would, at what Ruth says when Naomi is urging her to stay in Moab. So back in chapter one, Naomi's saying, just stay in Moab and don't come with me on this journey to Israel. But this is what Ruth says to her. Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. It was such a deep friendship and there is such power in friendship. Just think for a moment, what caused real change in Ruth's life? From as a Moabite, not believing in the Lord God, to her putting her trust, putting her faith in God, in the Lord, in Yahweh. What caused her to make that change when she would have just begun with just a thought of God as some sort of foreign deity? How did that change happen? wasn't through hearing a sermon. wasn't through reading some sort of good Christian book. She didn't go on Alpha. How did the change happen? It happened through her friendship with Naomi. Or think about Naomi herself. Naomi from being bitter, from being poor in chapter 1, to being full of joy, to being thankful, to being sustained in her old age. What caused the change there? It wasn't going to some food bank. It wasn't some sort of government handout. It was her friendship with Ruth that caused the change you see the most common way that the spirit of God takes the word of God and brings about transformation in people's lives it is in the context it is in the crucible of deep friendship now we know that well from the history of this church think of Wilberforce, Macaulay, Thornton, the Clapham sect It was because of their deep friendship with each other, it meant that they were transformed to be more like Jesus and they were used by God to transform so many other people's lives too in the crucible of deep friendship. And building deep friendships has got to be so important for us as a church today. If you come to this church and you don't know anyone here, If you don't have any friends here, if you just come to the church, come to a service, you just sort of sit and you soak and then off you go, you might be inspired by the preaching. You might be moved by the worship. You might be pleased by all the pastries. But your life is not going to be changed long term. This church is very little without friendships. Deep friendship, it is the crucible for knowing God's transforming power in your life. As we talk to one another, as we share with one another, as we be real with one another, as we pray for one another. Each one of us, we can only have a few deep friendships in our lives. And being, uh, for this context of the HTC, being in a connect group, it doesn't solve the situation But it is certainly the best way that we have as a church that we've set up our structure to enable each one of us to look to build deep friendships. So I want to say, if you're not in a connect group, please do get in one. Sign up online or just chat to someone you do know, ask to join their connect group. For me, I meet uh, weekly with four other men in the church. I've done that for five years. We meet together and we pray for one another. And over the last five years, we have been through many joys, but we've also been through many, many tough times and sorrows. And it has been so vital to me and my faith, and I think it's been vital to their, them and their faith too, to do those real deep friendships. And so if you are, if you like, if you are on the periphery of the church, that may not be your fault, you may have only been recently in the church. I want to encourage you, if you're on the periphery, dive in. Dive in, be courageous, dive in, get involved, deepen friendships. That is part of what this church weekend at home has been about. And then the second area of kingdom courage that we see in the book of Ruth is not just deep friendships, but it is wide faith, wide faith. One of the big themes of this little book is the providence of God. The belief that God is in control over all things, the big things, but also the little things too. And I think sometimes we can think that if God is so big, if God is so huge, then he can't be interested in little old me with my little old life and my little old issues. But it is precisely because God is so big, because God is so huge, that he is able to be interested in little old me. And little old you. Just have a look at these verses. They come in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. And it says this. It says, As it turned out, Ruth found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. That little phrase at the start there, as it turned out. As it turned out, a subtle reminder that just as with the big political outworkings of the people of Israel, so too with the individual lives of a few seemingly inconsequential outsiders, what might have seemed to be mere coincidence is actually all planned by God. As it turned out, Ruth found herself in the field belonging to Boaz. And you know, what we see is that God's control over all things, it's not just in the big... And also God's control over all things. It's not just in the religious. For here, if we look at that verse again, here is Boaz the worker. And he is using a blessing which is thought to be appropriate for the worship place. And he's using it in the workplace. He greets the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The whole of your life it is lived out before God. We are all to have a wide faith. Your workplace, it is your worship place just as much as this church is your worship place. One of my all-time favorite uh, quotes is by um, a, a guy called um, Abraham Kuyper. And he was the Dutch prime minister around 1900. He was a Christian, and he was also, he ran a theological college in Holland. And he once said this He said, There is not one square inch in this entire world over which Jesus Christ does not declare, This is mine. Your work life, your love life, your finances, your faith. Your joys, your sorrows, your highs, your lows, your fears, your struggles, your present, your future. There is not one square inch over this entire world where Jesus Christ does not declare this is mine. So the question is, will you and I Will we be people of kingdom courage? Having deep friendships and having wide faith. Now, in some senses, I could end the sermon there. And the problem would be this. It would be like hanging a heavy weight around your neck and around my neck go on people, we've got to be courageous, we've got to have deep friendships, we've got to have white faith, go on, just try, try, try harder. It would be exhausting. But what we need to see above all that is the thread that runs through the entire book of Ruth. In chapter one, which Caroline read, Naomi is without hope. She says, call me Mara, means bitter. She's without economic hope, she is without emotional hope, she's without spiritual hope. Yet by the end, the bit that Chris read, she is full of contentment and joy. And the ultimate reason for this change, it provides us with the secret of this Bible book, but I believe it also provides us with the secret of our lives. And the secret, the thread, is this. It is redemption. Redemption. Redemption, the act of being rescued, the act of being freed, the act of our debts being paid. Now, first, we we have Boaz, the generous Redeemer. Uh, Boaz is the one who is the, the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and for Ruth. He redeems them by marrying Ruth. Let's look again at verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 13. It says this, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. You see, by choosing to marry Ruth... Boaz didn't just take all the debts of Naomi and Ruth's family. He didn't just take the debts, but he also gave all his wealth to her. He he was a generous redeemer. All her debts paid and all his wealth given. But Boaz actually isn't the only redeemer in this story. After all, it's not known as the book of Boaz, is it? Much to my son's annoyance. Um, It is known as the book of Ruth. For Ruth is the sacrificial redeemer. Look at how chapter 4 continues, verse 15. Uh, The group of women, they're speaking to Naomi, and they say this. They say, for your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons... Ruth there, she's described as better than seven sons, better than the perfect number, better than the perfect family. Ruth has provided so much of what Naomi needs, but at such sacrificial cost to herself. Just think about it for a moment. Every refugee that leaves their country, they leave because of the hope of a better future. And that was if you like, one of the poignant marks of the terrible tragedy of the Grenfell Tower fire. That some of those who perished, they had come to this country looking to be safe. They'd come to this country looking for a better life. They'd come to this country with hope. And then they died. But Ruth... Ruth is very different from almost every single other immigrant to a foreign country that I have ever heard of. Just listen again to what she says to Naomi back in chapter one. She says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. So far, so nice. All sounds lovely. Amazing declaration of Naomi's friendship with, uh, uh, Ruth's friendship with Naomi and trust in the one true God. But we often ignore what Ruth said next. She continued, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth is saying, I expect not a better life, but a worse one. I expect I may well die. But she chooses to sacrifice so much. She chooses to move away from her country, to move away from her family, to move away from her financial stability, to move away from her emotional stability. She chooses to reject all that, as it were, and to move away from it, even though life is perfectly fine in Moab. She leaves it all, probably for a worse life, she thinks. And she chooses to sacrifice all that for the sake of her faith, and for the sake of Naomi. For she knows that if Naomi is able to have a life in Israel, Ruth needs to give her life away. Ruth, she is the sacrificial redeemer. But then there's a third redeemer. Just look at verse 14 again. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Now notice this, they're not actually talking any longer about Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, are they? Boaz is already famous. No, they are looking to the future. They're pointing to the son of Boaz and Ruth, Obed. May he become famous. But actually, as you go down to verse 17, they're pointing further forward still to David, Boaz and Ruth's great-grandson. And they're pointing further forward still even to Jesus, the ultimate son of David, the one that was truly famous throughout Israel. Jesus, the perfect kinsman, redeemer. Just think of Jesus, just like Boaz. Jesus didn't just pay the debt of our sin, but he has generously given us all the riches of heaven. Think of Jesus just like Ruth. Jesus sacrificed everything. He left his father's home. He gave up his life so that you and I could go free. There's a little bit in, the, um, in chapter three. You saw it in the little video at the start where um, it's sort of like a sort of comic, uh, communal sort of dormitory situation on the threshing floor uh, during the barley harvest. It's the end of, end of the day. Uh, all the men, they've been working hard and uh, doing the harvest. Uh, they maybe had a few drinks and it's now nighttime. It's pitch dark and all the workers are asleep. They're lying down uh, in, on the threshing floor asleep. So you've got... Josh Moxon there, snoring very loudly. You've got Ben Hayes there, sneezing lots because he's allergic to the barley. You've got Tim Jones there. Tim's farting in his sleep. You've got Rory Heaton. He's talking in his sleep, just quoting scripture, that's all he does. And then you've got Boaz, the boss. And into this scene, as they're all snoring away, comes Ruth. And Ruth, she sneaks in, she finds Boaz, and she lies down at Boaz's feet. Now, Boaz gets startled. He gets woken up, and he can tell there's somebody there at the end of his feet. And he, he, he knows it's got to be a woman, because she smells far better than any of his colleagues. And he says, who are you? Who are you? Look at how Ruth replies. Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer translation if you're a little slow Boaz marry me marry me and what is so lovely is the word she uses there if you look at it literally she says spread the corner of your wing over me spread the corner of your wing over me like a mother hen protecting her young redeeming them keeping her chicks safe And what Ruth says, it makes all the more sense when we see what Boaz has said to Ruth earlier. Chapter 2, verse 12, it's going to come up. This is what Boaz has said to Ruth. He said, may you, Ruth, be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. You see Ruth taking refuge under Boaz's wing. It is just a little picture of Ruth and you and me taking refuge under God's wing. And here is the reality that I would love each one of us to hold on to this morning. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how marginal or how central you feel. It doesn't matter what, matter what kind of failure or success you may feel in worldly terms. You and I, we will not be able to live lives of kingdom courage like Boaz, like Ruth. We won't be able to live like that. Until we take refuge under the wings of our perfect Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the book of Ruth, it is not that if we shelter in Jesus, our perfect Redeemer, he will give us exactly what we want in life. It's not that. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes my life, sometimes your life, it will be difficult. Sometimes It won't be our definition of the good life, what we expect our good life to be, what we want our good life to be. Sometimes it won't be that what takes place. Just think of Naomi. It's going to come back on the screen. Just look at uh, chapter 17 of verse 4, right at the end of the book. The women say, Naomi has a son. But she didn't, did she? She wanted a son. She longed for a son after her first two sons had died, but she didn't have a son. She had Ruth better than seven sons. She she had Obed, Ruth's son, but she didn't have a son of her own. God won't necessarily give us exactly what we want. The New York pastor, uh, Tim Keller, he talks about another church in New York 100 years ago. And there were two black ladies who became Christians but at the time, tragically, they were not allowed, allowed to go to that church because of the color of their skin. But there was a German lady who was in the congregation of that church. And she was, a godly, she was a godly Christian woman and she got to know these two black ladies. And these two ladies invited the German woman to go to Harlem with them and start a little Bible study for them and their friends. Now the German lady, she was engaged to be married at the time. And so she told her fiancé what she was going to do, that she was going to go and run this little Bible study in Harlem. And her fiancé said to her, he said, if you go and do that, we're not getting married. If you do that, we're not marrying. The marriage, it's over. And she knew that she had a decision to make. And she knew what the decision was that she ought to make. Indeed, she felt that God gave her a verse in the Bible. And the verse was Isaiah 54 verse 1 that says this, Sing, O barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And so this German lady, she courageously chose to not get married, to start this little Bible study with these two black ladies in Harlem. And that 100 years ago, was the start of what is now a church of 1,500 people. You see, if we look to Jesus, if we look to Jesus, our perfect Redeemer, If we recognize that Jesus, he has covered us with his wing, that he has sacrificed his life for us, that he has given so generously to us all the spiritual blessings of heaven, that in Jesus' sight we are totally loved like a perfect bridegroom's love for his wife, it is only then that we will feel able to live lives like Ruth and Boaz and Naomi with kingdom courage. You and I, we may not have the good life in exactly the way that we are expecting or hoping our life to pan out. We may not have that. But we will have, under the wing of Jesus, a better life. A life that is marked by kingdom courage and a life that is fueled by the Redeemer's love.